Welcome to the Shelfformers Podcast, the show where we talk about toys, why we like them, and their connections to bigger topics. I'm your co-host, Sugu, and today we're going to do something a little bit different and talk about the Eternals both separately. I'm your host, Darby. Today we're going to be reviewing the new Eternals movie from the MCU. I'm going to be giving my thoughts on the movie, what worked, what didn't, a little bit of background on the comic books, and where I think all of this is going. Before we begin, by way of introduction, I'm Darby Harn, the author of the novels Ever the Hero and A Country of Eternal Light. I'm a senior writer for Screen Rant and a contributor for Star Wars Newsnet. I am also part of the Movie News Network podcast, talking all things movies, TV, and pop culture. I collect comic books, Star Wars toys, and things I really should not be buying. <laughs> and I'm Sugu, your co-host. I work in IT and education, and I'm also passionate about writing and story. You can find some of my travel writings on allaboutjapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. I collect mostly Transformers, but I've recently started collecting Marvel Legends figures and die-cast cars, such as Hot Wheels. Since living in Japan, I've developed an interest in tabletop gaming, so I also have a wide collection of board games. Okay, guys, so here is my half of the Eternals review. Uh, which Sugu and I are breaking up since we're seeing it at different times. We thought it might be kind of interesting to do sort of a Rashomon, uh, he said, he said sort of viewpoint on the movie. So we're not even entirely sure what the other is kind of thinking. So we'll try this out as an experiment. But um, I'm going to give kind of a big overview of what I thought of the movie and then kind of break down in general. Uh, and then maybe in a little bit of detail, uh, what kind of my thoughts about the movie, the comic books it's based on, and then where I kind of think some of this is going. Um, so first off, in general, I liked it a lot. Um, there's a lot of things I was really impressed with. I, you definitely have to start with the, the direction by Chloe Zhao, who brings an absolutely unique uh, visual identity to the movie. A lot of natural lighting, a lot of practical effects um, that are very unique for the MCU, which is to this point, um, especially with big action sequences, it's a lot of CGI. It's a lot of sort of the CGI wallpaper, which it's to some some extent sometimes feels plastic, feels very obvious just to me feels you know a little fake uh very little in this movie feels fake despite the scale besides there is a, an overwhelming amount of cgi in the movie it's a huge cosmic scale though it involves the celestials uh involves the eternals the deviants and i'll talk about the story here in a second um but chloe Zhao does everything uh, she can to ground it in a very real uh very on location uh, sensibility and I think that works uh, there's some downsides to that I'll talk about as I go forward but in general I really liked it I love the cast which is huge and expansive a lot of great actors uh, cast maybe too big uh, for this movie two and a half hours long um, 
I enjoyed the story to a point. I thought that the, the basic, the Eternals are very complicated mythology coming out of Jack Kirby, and I want to talk about that in detail. Um, but I thought they did a good job of sort of streamlining the story for the movie, and then they kind of fell fell down in some spots uh, trying to do that. Uh, I feel like trying to get all of this, the characters, the mythology, the MCU of it all into the movie, into the one sort of two and a half hour movie. Some things didn't have room to breathe, so that might, was not something really I thought worked. Um, and then the score. The music was outstanding in this movie as it was for Shang-Chi. A big definite shift uh, in the MCU uh, going back a couple years now. Uh, is sort of the um, the music to for a long time was just wallpaper. It sort of was just there. It wasn't really a consideration. One thing that has changed noticeably since um, Kevin Feige sort of consolidated control of Marvel Studios uh, there a couple years ago um, is that the music. There's much more emphasis on the music, the the sonic identity of the music, the distinctiveness of it, and creating something new and unique to the, to the movies and also the repetition of themes uh, in particular the avengers theme which uh has become now obviously iconic and and a uh, signature aspect of the mcu and then lastly i liked i liked a lot of the changes they made to the comic book lore um, there is a lot of it uh, that goes into the Eternals and goes into Marvel Comics or the MCU, I should say, in general. But they made some interesting changes and choices, which I was perfectly okay with because um, the the comic book lore of the Eternals is pretty complicated and is really, honestly, I don't know that there's anyone that that's who's really out there who's really going to be upset by any of this because I don't think there's anyone attached to it in the same way they would be. Spider-Man, Captain America, Batman, what have you. Uh, the Eternals, uh, the biggest surprise about the Eternals movie is that there's an Eternals movie. Um, the movie exists, uh, is based on a, a comic book property which Marvel has been trying to make work for almost 50 years. Uh, and I, th I think it's safe to say that the, the comic is, the Eternals as a character, as uh, as a character, as a concept within the Marvel Comics universe, they have their place. Um, they're very connected to very important parts of the Marvel comic universe. Never really taken off, um, and maybe that's the best place to kind of dig into some detail here. Is what is this about? So uh, the movie and spoilers, folks. <laughs> just in case, uh, from here on out, uh, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. So the Eternals are immortal beings. They're immortal beings who were created by the Celestials, who are these massive planet-sized, they're sort of robotic-looking beings who hail from the beginning of the universe. They, in the comic books, uh, they created the Eternals. The, the Celestials go around to different planets and start... Um, doing experiments they start mucking around in the primordial development of species on several planets uh, one of them was the scrolls and then one of them was uh, here on earth and in the comic book mythology they created from early hominids they created three different species they created mankind 
They created the Eternal, which was the sort of superior, and then they created the Deviant, who was ostensibly a lower form. Although the Deviants had powers, the Deviants had agency, they had intelligence. Because they had this monstrous look, they were sort of basically considered evil. That led to a lot of conflict. The Celestials, they go around, they, they do these experiments, and then they sort of walk away. They let the experiment play out. They let the development of these species and cultures commence. And then they come back, and then they judge. They judge the progress of these experiments, and then they either allow them to continue, or they destroy these planets and these species outright. Celestials, not really, not really cool people. Uh, they're kind of judgy. That whole concept that huge and there's several different like levels of judgment and Jack Kirby who created the mythology of the Eternals back in 1971 uh, was thinking of a lot of things and Jack Kirby was a huge fan was very inspired I should say by uh, a book called Chariot of the Gods which is for fan for people who know of this idea of the ancient astronauts and maybe they've seen the meme go around it was aliens uh this idea that basically the great works of man the great early ancient works of man were products of aliens that early man could not have built the pyramids or stonehenge or uh, the gardens of babylon could not have accomplished any of this stuff uh I personally, I hate this idea. I think this is trash idea. Of course, mankind is capable of all of that. We're capable of enormous things. And early man was very, even though the way that some of these things came about, like the pyramids was obviously done with slave labor and at enormous cost over many, many centuries, I believe. Um, things like the Colosseum in Rome, uh, et cetera, the Great Wall in China um that they were products of man but there's this thought that goes into that's reflected in this book chariot of the gods which sort of wants to recast the great work of of mankind as somehow being products of aliens uh you see this a little bit in 2001 a space odyssey particularly the movie which has the monolith and the mystery of the monolith uh interfering uh, in the progress of early, early man, uh, when man is still uh, closer to sort of a, a primate beginning. And uh, Jack Kirby was a huge fan of 2001 to the point where he uh, drew the adaptation. Some of his most gorgeous work uh, in Marvel Comics is in the Treasury Edition of 2001's uh, Space Odyssey comic was gorgeous work but that it didn't, didn't in there with the adaptation with kirby kirby went on to do there was actually an ongoing series a monthly comic book based on 2001 but then started to drift out of uh the continuity of the arthur c clark books and certainly the movie uh into its own thing and kirby was love this idea of ancient gods ancient aliens interfering in the course of man he did that comic book for a period of time I think it was less than a year. I don't. It wasn't particularly successful, although it did. Uh, he did, in the course of that, create a original character called Machine Man, who was basically the cybernetic creation of these of the these ancient beings. And Machine Man then went on to become part of the official Marvel comic book 
continuity. So digression over. But that's kind of where Kirby was coming from, and this is reflected in his other major works, including New Gods for DC, which he had done prior to coming back to Marvel, uh, the cancellation of New Gods, the failure of New Gods to, at the time, get off the ground um, and, and be successful in the way that he hoped, led him to sort of basically try the same thing again with the Eternals, very similar in sort of the architecture of the mythology ancient aliens good versus evil um that type of thing and although you know the characters are different but it's it's you know you, whether it's icarus or, or orion or all these you know ancient beings who don't die and battle each other over time deviants versus eternals new gods versus the forces of apocalypse that kind of a thing and Kirby's interest in gods was also reflected in a lot of his work, you know, Galactus, the Silver Surfer, uh, all the, the Norse mythology in the Thor comics, Journey to Mystery, and then the proper Thor title, Ragnarok, uh, all of these ideas. He was fascinated by these ideas, and that led to the Eternals. And that's present in the movie, and, and my, one of my criticisms of the movie uh, is that some of, this, some of that ancient astronaut stuff manifests in the movie. Um, the, the movie does a really good job of, of not prescribing the entire development of, of man to the Eternals, although the Eternals at various points attempt to interfere. Their mission is not to interfere, but some of them do. Um, this, there's a suggestion that the Hanging Gardens of Babylon in the movie is the product of the Eternals. I don't like any of that. I, I really don't. I, it, like I said, it's just, it's just not my cup of tea, the sort of idea that uh, someone else did it I, I, I don't I don't like that there's also a suggestion that the atomic bomb and then therefore the atomic uh, destruction of uh, Hiroshima uh, in uh, Japan in World War II was the product somehow of the engineering and intellectual uh, sort of attempts by uh, Fastos one of the Eternals to help the progress of man was somehow his fault that was a brief weird scene. I, I didn't I didn't like that either. Otherwise, the movie does a fairly good job of trying to explain that the Eternals are not, in fact, responsible. They didn't create man, and they didn't create, you know, the progress of man. The, the progress of man goes on without them, to the frustration to some of them. Uh, Druig, in particular, is extremely frustrated that he simply can't end the violence and oppression and the cruelty of man. At various points, uh, the others are like, we can't, that's not our, their mission. Their mission is to go to this world to stop the deviants, which are these evil alien creatures from destroying humanity, and that which then interrupts the, the progress of the Celestials. So the mythology in the movie of the Celestials and the Eternals is different, and this is some of the biggest changes for comic book fans. Um, the Celestials did not create early man did not derive the eternal or the deviant from early man they existed prior uh, to the development of mankind uh, there are other changes which are spoilers at the end but are basically just for folks now they basically smash the kirby stuff with the neil gaiman uh 2005 2006 eternal sort of reboot which ultimately basically suggested that the eternals themselves are sort of they're not robots, but they're basically synthetic creations of the Eternals who were designed, and they have their they can be their memory can be wiped, 
they can be killed and there the suggestion is there are endless copies of them so there are some major changes to the comic book lore and i was fine with most of that because the comic book lore is arcane um very dense it's very much like dune and this sort of the you know the mythology of something like dune which this movie actually evokes if folks have seen the new dune movie by denis villeneuve um this movie the the approach the atmosphere the direction the huge cast the mythology is very evocative of dune and it's it's interesting to kind of see them recently back to back because they they, they feel like similar movies there, there there are uh powerful forces competing forces uh there's a lot of politics there's a lot of twists and turns and there's a very atmospheric feel and presentation and under sort of a, a real practical grounding uh to this major huge cosmic story and i i like that a lot it's be you know i think chloe Zhao would have made if she were making dune probably would have made a movie somewhat similar to denis villeneuve and he would have made something if he were making eternals it probably would have looked much like it does now um, the cast is too big for me. Uh, it's a huge cast of characters, around about a dozen. All the actors are very good. The characters are interesting, but there's too many of them to breathe in two and a half hours. And it, the, the story would have benefited by uh, shrinking some of those down. Um, my biggest disappointment was that the character of Gilgamesh, who turned out to be my favorite character in the movie, um, he was funny. He was brave. He, it was all everything with him. Uh, was fun uh, and he all he dies I it, you know I, I don't hate the fact that he dies but we didn't get a chance to really spend time with him or get to know him or really a lot of the characters so there's a lot of characters and that there is a main character Cersei who is sort of the, the viewpoint character the focal character she's one of the Eternals Gemma Chan very good in the role she's a really good actress um, I liked her a lot. I, I I liked Cersei. I liked her journey in the movie. I would have liked more focus on that. I would have liked more focus on her relationship with Icarus, on her dynamic with Ajax, who is played by Salma Hayek, who gets relegated really to flashbacks in this movie, which the, the flashbacks are a big part of this movie. In Shang-Chi, the flashbacks felt organic and part of the narrative here. They, they felt like they kept delaying the movie. And the movie, the plot of this movie is basically the, the Eternals going from one to the other and explaining the same thing over and over again. Ajax is dead. The emergence is happening. What are we going to do? And it, that went on into act, late act two. And part of that was because we they kept interrupting with the flashbacks to the ancient times. I totally get what it was going for, but I, I don't think it worked uh, in, entirely. And another thing that, that, that I was thinking as I was watching the movie is that this is a movie that really should have been uh, a streaming series. So Marvel MCU is now branching out into the streaming series on Disney+. Plus. Um, Eternals is ideal for a long-form streaming series. Um, there are a ton of characters. There's a ton of lore. Um, a series would have allowed them to explore the characters in more depth. It would have let them get into the, the lore a little bit more. Uh, would have let them play around with the flashbacks, you know. 
um, here it felt um, a little bit jumbled. Um, the scale of the movie is appropriate for the movie. Um, Chloe Zhao is a tremendous cinematic uh, visualist. Um, but I think this is, this is I, I don't know what the hierarchy is for, well, this is a movie, this is a TV show. But we're at the stage now where that's probably an ongoing debate, you know, in the MCU at Marvel Studios and them trying to decide, you know, what what is the best format for this particular character or franchise in Eternals, I think was a bold move on their part um, to, to, and I think they'll be rewarded at the box office. They, I'm sure they will. But I think for myself, just in, you know, other people probably disagree. I think this would have been an ideal series and I think it would have been a very successful as a series and it would have better served the the characters because it feels like really it feels like a one elongated episode it ends on a legit tv cliffhanger uh so i'll back up a little bit but it's the it's very abrupt it's very to be continued um i know a lot of movies probably feel that way these days especially in the mcu but this one in particular was very strong um so the eternals are on earth and they're here to stop the deviants from destroying humanity and their mission goes on for thousands of years because um, it takes it just takes that long. Um, eventually, they're, they destroy the Deviants, but they don't get called home, which is Olympia, this planet uh, out in the cosmos, different from the comic books again. So they're just kind of sitting and waiting for Erishim to say, well, now we're going to, we're going to, you guys are going to come home. And as they do, they start to get familiar and comfortable. And uh, Cersei in particular from the beginning has a deep uh, love of humanity. And the others uh, begin to sort of live their own lives. And the, they're, the, the longer they're there, the less they're fighting the deviants, the, the less uh, sort of structure their mission has. And that manifests in really interesting ways. Again, would have benefited from more explore, exploration fewer characters at least within the context of the movie um but cersei is someone who in the modern day is working as a uh, instructor she has a she has a boyfriend uh, dane whitman who um comic book fans will know is the black knight in marvel comics he's a member of the avengers and and this movie uh, plays with the potential of the black knight in the uh, post credit scene so stick around, and there are two in this movie, so you stick around to the very end for sure. Um, and there are just some conflicts with it. She has a, she's had a relationship with Icarus that went on for thousands of years, and then he just abruptly left. That's sort of teased out in a mystery, which is just sort of another problem with the movie is the script, to be completely honest. I, some of the dialogue is kind of not great and the a lot of the scenes are, are just people not answering qu direct questions because the plot's not ready to to do that yet <laughs> and so that's the biggest thing with icarus and the reason that, and the reason for that is because icarus is actually the villain of the movie so we discover in the course of the movie that the celestials actually intend to destroy earth because what they really do is they seed planets they turn planets into basically giant eggs for to hatch celestials which are born of the energy of intelligent sentient races uh so the eternals are really there to save humanity because the collective energy of humanity feeds the celestial uh 
But the celestial that's about to be born from Earth is going to destroy the Earth, and it's causing these earthquakes, which are violent and worldwide. Uh, and, and within the movie, within seven days, is going to hatch and just destroy the Earth. These earthquakes, by the way, were teased in Avengers Endgame, uh, very uh, in the scene where the the crew gets together and they're talking about what's kind of catching up on what's going on. Uh, someone, I think, Okoye mentions that there are earthquakes in the Atlantic. Uh, some people thought that was sort of Namor. Uh, it's actually uh, the celestial coming coming to life. So a nice little teaser there. So the Eternals find out that this is happening, that Ajax knew this all along, and that Icarus knew this all along. And Icarus uh, has killed Ajax because Ajax wants to um, save, um, it wants to kind of go against the mission, uh, go against the orders. Uh, Icarus uh, then does a big heel turn, uh, puts them into conflict. I really like the idea of making Icarus a villain. Uh, it will come as a surprise to the comic book readers who Icarus is just a classic traditional superhero. Um, but I like the turn here. What I would have preferred from a story point of view is that about halfway through the movie, uh, this reveal comes at, towards the, the, at the end of Act 2 in the movie. What really needed to happen to make this work is that this needed to happen about halfway through. So halfway through, Cersei, played by Gemma Chan, discovers the truth about the celestials and the fate of earth um she then goes back to the other eternals with this information there's a debate what she should have found out in that moment is that icarus was in on this because it it it, it it's a delaying the, the whole movie feels like it just just delays moments and events and revelations and if she finds out in that moment it's this pinch it's this crunch because she gets from Ajax, she inherits from Ajax a device that allows her to communicate with the Celestials. And there's this mystery as to why Cersei was chosen to get this, as opposed to Icarus, who's the ostensible leader of the Eternals, now that Ajax is gone. Um, what would have been great in that moment is that when Cersei first com communicates with Erishem, the Celestial was that, he's, that Erishem should have been like, why, why are you here? I was expecting Icarus would have led to conflict in the beginning would have, would have ramped up the stakes ramped up the tension ramped up the drama instead we get it at the end it happens fast um none of the story breathes none of the characters breathe and i it's a it's just a function of the fact that you have so many characters so much going on in such a confined space of two and a half hours and um i would have liked to have seen all of that happen sooner and get more narrative uh, tension and drama out of it than we got uh, but Cersei ultimately carries the Eternals forward into trying to either put the the Tiamat who is the is celestial at the center of earth put him to sleep somehow or prevent him from being born or possibly kill him she ultimately uh, getting to the end now, she ultimately kills him by turning him into stone with her power, powers of transmutation. She learns how to use her powers on living beings, turns Tiamat into stone, into this really wonderful sort of visual moment where he becomes a massive sort of stone, limestone island in the, uh, I believe they're in the South Pacific, uh, Indian Ocean, and uh, it's interesting visual. Um, so the movie was enjoyable. The movie was entertaining. 
Um, I, I would have, I, I would have made some changes. As I said, I'm, I'm super curious to know what Sugu thinks about how all of that played out. Uh, it also ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. Erishem comes back and he whisks away, uh, Cersei and the, uh, some of the other Eternals. So some of the Eternals stay on earth, uh, and then the others, including Fena and Makari and Drug go off into space. And they're going to search out other Eternals on other planets to let them know the truth. But so Erishem captures the Eternals on Earth and then whisks them away. He says he's going to come back to judge. The movie literally ends on a shot of Kit Harrington as Dane Whitman looking up into the air with a sort of look on his face. And it's very TV ending. And I don't, I was a little bit knowing that there was going to be post credit scenes. I was a little bit, oh, okay. But the post-credit scenes are interesting. Uh, the first one has to do with the Eternals in space. They encounter uh, Star Fox, uh, Eros, the brother of Thanos, an uh, Eternal who is heralded by Pip the Troll, uh, characters created by Jim Starlin. Uh, Star Fox played by Harry Styles. Uh, Harry Styles is a uh, musician, obviously. He's done some acting. He's in Dunkirk. Uh, this portends a lot of big things, potentially, for his character in the future Eternals movies, if there are, and maybe elsewhere in the MCU. The second one has to do with Dane Whitman. So we get Dane Whitman as the Black Knight. He starts to tell Cersei, hey, he's like, I got some secrets, too. You're not the only one. And then at the end, he's he, he needs to get Cersei back. He doesn't know what's happened. He then opens up a box uh, which has an ancient sword in it. This is the Ebony Blade. This is the weapon of the Black Knight handed down through the ages. The Ebony Blade is referenced by Thena in the movie. Uh, and then just as he's about to touch it, um, there's a voice from off screen saying, are you sure you want to do that, Mr. Whitman? Um, this voice is actor Mahershala Ali, who is playing Blade. Uh, in the upcoming MCU movie, and that portends really interesting things, so that was exciting. Completely unexpected. Blade Eternal is not connected in any way, shape, or form. Blade and the Black Knight in the comics, not really connected in any way, shape, or form, except for a little, uh, not little, uh, obscure organization called MI-13, British organization fighting against the supernatural, in which the two characters did team up. Um that could be super interesting uh especially as we look forward to the blade movie which uh i believe now with the with the there's been some pushback on the release dates i were, could have gone into uh 23 uh not 100 but anyway a lot to look forward to there overall i'm going to wrap up here coming up on a half hour uh, i want to give sugu the mic or maybe he's talking before me i don't know the wonders of editing um, but I enjoyed the movie. I recommend it if you're an MCU fan, uh, if you're a Chloe Zhao fan. Um, and I'm curious to know what people think. So let us know what you think. Uh, um, email us, uh, shellformers at gmail.com, uh, at shellformers um, on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Were you just kind of whatever? Are you just confused? Either way, let us know. Um, and then we'll uh, probably, hopefully, at some point pick up. Uh, together, Sugu and I have a conversation about the movie and kind of dig into some more detail. Take care. We're going to take a quick break to let you know about some exciting developments on the podcast. First of all, thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying it. Uh, if you like our content and you want more of it, you can subscribe to our channel and get additional conversations between Sugu and I. So stick around after the episode for a quick sample of what you could get. If you want to give us any feedback, feel free to let us know your thoughts and opinions at shelfwarmers at gmail.com or on Twitter at Shelfformers. Thanks for listening.
And now back to the show. So for this week's episode, we thought we'd do something a little bit different. We both watched The Eternals, and we thought we would give a separate review. So there's 30 minutes of Darby and 30 minutes of me. Uh, and then we'd ask uh, you what your thoughts are on on our separate reviews. So I have seen the movie, and I have not listened to um, Darby's review at this point, at, at, at the time of this recording. So I have no idea what he said about it. Yeah, I don't know. So we'll see how we'll see how this is going to work putting it all together. Definitely spoilers ahead for the Eternals, um, as I kind of rant and rave, and I'm sure there are spoilers ahead for Darby's part as well. So overall, the Eternals. I really liked the movie. Like, really liked it. I enjoyed it. But it wasn't a uh, striking movie. Like, I didn't go out of the theater going, whoa, what was that? That was amazing. I liked it. It was a, it was a good movie. It was better than average, but it was still in the neighborhood of average. Like, uh, if you look on, uh, like, a bell curve distribution, for example, it'd be, in, it'd be on the upper side, but not in the, the few amazing movies. I, yeah, it was, it was good. I liked it. Um, I definitely loved the outfits and the costume design. I thought that was phenomenal. Um, uh, I thought that was really good. I loved all the representation. I thought that was incredible to see, um, uh, a LGBTQ family, a, a deaf person, um, and, you know, a little thing about the Makala, um, one thing I liked with watching the sign, uh, with one thing I liked with uh, McCullough's character, um, the speedster who's deaf, I really liked that there were moments in there where they, where the the other characters were signing to to her, but they were talking to other people, so they were like including her in the conversation even though they weren't talking to her. That, that's one of those little details that um, I think people who don't interact with um, with the deaf community might not recognize that that can be kind of exclusionary. And I, I thought that was great to have to see that little detail. It's a, such a tiny detail. Um, yeah, but I, I really liked it. Um, I really liked how coming back to Makala, I really liked that everyone knew how to sign to her. Like they took the time to learn sign language to communicate with her. I thought that was good. But there are some things that I didn't really like. Um, one of the things that uh, really kind of threw me right from the beginning is it really feels like a janky Justice League. Um, right out the gate, Icarus is really reminiscent of Superman. Um, Dana is really re reminiscent of Wonder Woman. Uh, Fastos, Green Lantern, in my mind. The um, McCullough is the Flash. So there's all these parallels with the Justice League, but it doesn't quite feel like the Justice League either. It, it feels like this uh, knockoff of it. And that part, I was like, meh. Um, but 
you know, at the same time, I did like that they made uh, Icarus, the super strong one, not the leader. Uh, I thought that was a really good choice that just because he's strong doesn't mean he's fit to lead. I, I thought that was a really good, good move. One thing, uh, people who, who know me know that I pay atten- a lot of attention to the music in a, in a movie. I, I really listen for themes and I listen for like um, some of the, the movements and how the music illustrates what's happening in the movie. But I didn't find the music here very striking. Um, I was listening for the theme and even during the credits when you should have the theme being isolated, it just didn't seem that striking of a theme. It was just, it was kind of meh. Um, the music wasn't bad. It, it wasn't bad by any means, but it was just meh. Uh, again, to- perfectly average, you know, just uh, it was decent. Nothing, nothing too bad. So there, there, you know, there are a couple questions that I have about it. Um, why? So for the MCU specifically, I don't know that Sprite needed to be so young, uh, or I should say, to be more accurate, young presenting, um, because she isn't right. She's five thousand, six thousand years old, so she is just as old as Cersei, um, because. You know that's her first mission. Uh, she was. She said that that's her first mission. So, for the purpose of the MCU, why put her in a young presenting body? Um, I understand in the comics is different, but in the comics there's a reason that she is uh, young presenting on the Marvel database Wikipedia or fan fanpedia page. It talks about how. The Eternals are really stoic and they're, quote, noble or elegant and um, relatively emotionless. And Sprite is the prankster. Okay. And she inspired Peter Pan um, and Puck in Shakespeare. Okay, that's fine. That's in the Marvel comics. That makes sense why she would be like that. But they even go out of their way to say that Sprite is like Tinkerbell in in the Eternals movie. Well, that's not Peter Pan because I my first thought when he said well, when Kingo said uh, you remind me of Peter Pan, and my first thought was yeah Peter Pan, and that's the comics. But in the movie, she didn't really need to be young presenting. Now, the reason I bring this up is because this brings up some other questions, like the fact that she had her own torment about being young, like eternally young, never growing up. We saw this already in, you know, three decades ago in Interview with a Vampire, where Kirsten Dunst's character, her choice of growing up was taken away from her by the vampires. Okay, but here, that wasn't the case. She was built by the Celestials. So why did he, why did Arishem build her in this young presenting body? Like, what was the purpose of that? Why bother? And I have a, uh, I have a theory why, but it's not corroborated by anything. So 
don't uh, don't at me in the comics if I'm wrong because I do not care about whether I'm wrong or not with this theory. It's just something that I kind of thought about. But you know, seven thousand years ago, storytelling kids like stories, so she was a in a young presenting body to appeal to the kids. It's possible. I don't really care for that theory much, but you know, it's something. Other than that, I don't really understand why make her young presenting for all of eternity. Um, but along those lines, why all the jokes? Like, she is just as old as all of the other Eternals. She's just stuck in that young presenting body. So why are the other Eternals, what jokes do they have? Like, why the jokes to her about being young, especially considering how angry she is about it? You know, I, I understand the anger. I understand why she would be angry, because that would get old after a couple hundred years, especially when she is just as old as all of them. Uh, and she has not shown any sort of, like, stuck in child development or anything like that, so she should be have the maturity as all the others. So I don't understand why... For the MCU, she needed to be stuck in a young body only to give that conflict at the very end. The only reason of why she stabbed Cersei was because she was angry that Cersei got to live an adult life. Like that, to me, that's a really um, dodgy plot point. And along those lines, one thing that I kind of thought too while watching it is for a group of people who call themselves a family that have been together for 5,000 years, they don't really like each other and they don't really care for each other. And I felt that was kind of a bit weird as well. Like that's strange. Like why, why not? <laughs> Like, everyone was really itching to, to fight Icarus, but no one wanted to. Um, yeah, it was just kind of strange, like, for that part. Considering that Icarus becomes the villain, I don't really understand all of the toys. Um, Marvel Legends has, has him, and fortunately, Icarus is not part of the Gilgamesh Build-A-Figure. Uh, which I'll get to in a second, but um, you can get him, but he comes with no Gilgamesh parts. So I think that's that was a good decision. Um, I do not want to buy an Icarus toy. I, f I feel like he's, I don't need him. But the other thing is the SH figure arts, they have Kingo, uh, Cersei, and Icarus. Like, why them? That doesn't, I would have preferred... Um, some other some of the other characters instead now of the marvel legends you do have sprite which i don't really want to pick up because uh, i didn't really care for that for her character i think there's a lot more that could have been done to really develop her but it wasn't yeah and i'm i'm not going to get the icarus figure but the other figures i'm i'm really considering because i and i you know i do want that Gilgamesh figure as well. I think that's a really good one. Yeah, so in terms of the toys, I don't know. Uh, definitely not getting the 
uh, Icarus, probably not getting the sprite, but I do want the others. The Deviants are another one that I think is actually really interesting and sorely underdeveloped, um, especially when they could finally talk. When the Prime Deviants said, we were only looking for our own survival, I thought that was a brilliant move, and that suddenly doesn't make them the villain anymore, and it doesn't make them animals either that you could just slaughter willy-nilly. They're a species that's looking for survival just like everybody else in the in the universe. I thought that was brilliant, and I wish that was developed a hell of a lot more. Um, one possibility, it might have been hackneyed, but one possibility is the, the Prime Deviant changes allegiance to help the Eternals put a stop to the birth of the Celestial. I think that would have been interesting because, you know, you've got these two species that have been warring, but that's their entire purpose is to war just to protect the the planet species so that they can develop to make more energy to birth a celestial. Like, that's an interesting conflict, and they could have developed that and, and made it a little bit different, I think. You know, along those lines, one thing that I thought was interesting was that um, apart from Icarus and Kingo, a lot of their powers are non-violent. Um, you know, Cersei specifically, yeah, it can be used for violence, like uh, when she turned the Deviant into a tree, but it could also, she used it for helping civilization. Um, I thought that was really interesting that a lot of their uh powers are maybe not on the non-violent side but more on the defensive side as opposed to offensive um yeah so i thought that was interesting i thought so i i don't know what exactly hit me really hard but when we see gilgamesh taking care of thana uh, it was just such a heartbreaking scene um it kind of like yeah, it just reminded me of taking care of an Alzheimer's patient or someone who's elderly and you take care of them because you love them, you care about them, uh, but it's really hard. Um, another scene in another movie that kind of hit me the same kind of way was in Love Actually when the woman was taking care of her brother and you know, he, he threw that punch at her and she caught it, but she could only calmly say, don't do that. That's all. Like there, there's nothing else to do. And so here seeing him take care of Thena was kind of heartbreaking. Just seeing that. And it was just, um, yeah, that was a really powerful image. So you know, I, I said earlier, they don't like each other. Obviously, those two do, but like they pair off in groups that, that do like each other. Because um, I, I never got the feeling that Cersei and Sprite really liked each other. They were just lonely, and that's why they were together. Um, yeah. Kingo was off by himself being a Bollywood star. I thought that was great. But why wasn't he in the final climactic battle? I thought, like, that would have been 
why was he the only one that that sat out for that? Then when they became the Unimind, what happened to him? Was he in the middle of a shoot? Was he in the middle of a dance? Like, what happened? And that would have been really nice to have him join the battle as well. It was unfortunate that he wasn't there. Uh, yeah. I will say I'm not overly fond of extinction-level extinction events anymore. It, it feels like every movie has to have an extinction-level event, which means the impact of all of them is lessened because of it you know i missed the the smaller scale final battles or the final the smaller scale climax um it, it feels more impactful instead of these extinction level events i did like seeing um tiamat emerge from the ocean though i thought that was pretty cool to just show the scale of of this celestial being born the final, or maybe not the final, but one of the the final scenes of Icarus flying into the sun. Yeah, that was too on the nose. Not a fan of that. Um, especially we know that Sprite created that story just, you know, to tell people. And, and then he just up and did it. Okay. It, it felt it was too on the nose um, instead of metaphorical or allegorical or symbolic it was just yeah he did it uh you know speaking of icarus i really didn't like him i thought he was a, a garbage character um i really didn't like the the reason why he disappeared that he was in love with cersei but he knew the truth and didn't want to tell her and couldn't tell her so he just up and left it's like but that that does that's not a good reason for me um i think that should have been done better uh, I really liked that one throwaway sentence that they had about how the snap and the blip started to change Ajax's mind. I wanted to see more of that. Um, and as a matter of fact, I wanted more of Salma Hayek. Uh, I liked that her character was a healer. I wanted to see more of that. Um, you know, a, a healer as opposed to uh, laser blasts and gunshots and... You know, I th I think a healer is a very interesting uh, superhero role that in a team she could have had a lot of impact. So it's, I, I wanted to see more of her. I think one of the biggest themes to explore here in, in, the, in the movie is this idea of free will versus um, fulfilling your purpose. And I find that concept really interesting. Like, Icarus is compelled to fulfill his purpose regardless of what his his free will is to fulfill his purpose um, whereas some of the other characters decided their free will is to give to others so that they can choose life is destruction right so life does come with the pain of uh, violence does come with the pain of separation and life does come with death right in order for us to eat something else has to die i mean that's that's life so i like that idea that you know the the people have to die to give birth to the celestial i think that's a really interesting concept and none of the animals 
none of the people want to die, but to fulfill the bigger purpose of supporting a celestial. I find that concept really interesting. And so where is the line of free will? Where where do we draw that line of of who gets to have free will and then who gets to judge that? You know, on uh for us, do we give free will to the animals? No, we eat them. But why? Right? Like there's this this argument that you can make there. I'm not going to be a vegetarian or anything like that. I'm still going to eat eat the same thing that I did, but it's an interesting concept of where on the food chain, where on the apex predator we are at. And I think that kind of comes to something else that I found a bit weak in the movie. In the beginning, we see Cersei change a stone tool into a bronze tool, thus starting the Bronze Age, okay? And the movie starts off with Apex Predator. But by the end of the movie, both of those things were kind of dropped. Who was the Apex Predator by the end of the movie? Was it the Celestial? Is it Icarus? Like, they defined it as the Apex Predator is the one who hunts, but also has no natural enemies in their habitat. Is that the Eternals? because they have no natural enemies until the deviants were uh, started to come up. And the deviants themselves, I thought that was interesting of how they, they threw that out there where the deviants were frozen, but due to global warming, due to climate change, uh, they're thawing out. I thought that was interesting. And I really liked the idea that the deviants were evolving. I thought that was a really good idea that the deviants could evolve, but the Eternals could not. So you have this idea that the villains of the movie were actually the ones capable of change, but the the heroes were not. They're they're static. They they have to stay the same. Yeah. So I thought that was that. I thought those themes were were really interesting and I wanted to see it explored a lot more in the movie and I wanted to see I wanted to see this dysfunctional family explored more because they call themselves a family but were they really I I don't know Uh, you know they they're eternal right they they're immortal so more than anyone else they're stuck with each other and you know say what you will having having been on earth for five seven thousand years they were definitely around with psychology they were definitely around with mental health so uh they none of them did anything with that i you know i i wish to see more of of that dynamic of how that played out you know i understand that it's uh it's a tall order with that many characters to flesh out that many stories that many plots that many that much depth i know i get that it's a tall order and chloe Zhao did say that rather than try to develop all of them she what she wanted to do is put the characters and when they were on screen to give them depth um 
So not necessarily fleshing them out, but whenever you saw them, you did get depth. And I would agree. I thought that was done really well, that when you saw them, you did see a lot more deepening of the characters. But I still wanted more, especially of the ones that are more interesting. Like, I don't find Icarus's uh, character arc that interesting. I find it just like, uh, what? It doesn't really... It doesn't really do much for me. But Sprite's character arc is interesting. You know, here's someone who is stuck in a young in a young body, but she hates it. Especially being on Earth where she could see growth. She could see development and that's not there. I think that's interesting. Gilgamesh uh Thena. Thena with uh I guess Mad Weary. I I'm not quite sure the Japanese subtitles uh, just call it Mad Weary. I'm not sure what that means. But uh, anyway, her going through the eternal version of Alzheimer's, I think is a really interesting uh, character arc and a really tragic development that I would have loved to, to explore further. But they kind of forgot that as well. You know, she she was dealing with it, she was dealing with it, and then she killed the Prime Deviant, and now she's not dealing with it anymore. Like, that solved the problem. Uh, I'm not sure I, I like that part, because I, I think that having to deal with this impending Alzheimer's, well, eternal version of Alzheimer's, it, it is an interesting character arc, you know, and... She had Gilgamesh to take care of her, and I thought that was a really powerful moment, only to be kind of dropped later on. Like, because now Thena has to learn how to manage by herself in an increasingly confusing um, situation for her. She has to learn how to do it. Uh, well, you know, before she got snatched up by the Celestial anyway, but um, she had to learn how to how to do that. And I think that would have been a really interesting character arc. But again, I, I think that it was dropped. It was just the, we got to solve all the problems and tie it up with the bow real quickly. So I, I think that suffered a bit. Gilgamesh... He had a really good arc, too, that I would have liked to develop more. You know, how does he choose? He chose to take care of Thena, which is great. But what does his life look like for the next 5,000 years as they're almost definitely increasingly isolated? Um, you know, it looked like on his, on his grounds, it did look like he had a whole lot of technology. Uh, it looked like he was just kind of um, still living kind of out of time. But, you know, they they weren't completely isolated for the past 7,000 years. So what was he doing? I thought that would have been fascinating. Kingo becoming an actor I thought was great and having a dyna dynasty of actor family, or a dynastic reign of actors. I thought that was brilliant. But that does raise the question, what did he do before movies? Because he was a performer, right? So 
was he doing theater plays in India beforehand? And I say India because he's a Bollywood star, but was he in Pakistan? Like where, what, what brought him to being a movie star? Like I thought that arc was really interesting to go from <laughs> the pistolier superhero to a movie star. You know, I, what, what was that? What was that arc? And it was really unfortunate that he wasn't in the final battle. I, I like everyone else made it there except for him. And I thought that's not a fitting way to go for him. Loved his valet though. His valet was hilarious. Ajax would have really liked to see her as the matron, uh, the matron of the of the group, the the protector. You know, like she made that choice to let them loose to have them find their find out who they are find their individuality what did she do she went to this isolated home but you know that's several centuries later so what did she do there as a healer like she would have been really useful in that i didn't talk much about drig the mental the mentalist um i think that he's got a really interesting arc as well he doesn't want the violence at all and wants to completely stop it and he has the power to do so you know i can't imagine for him clearly he's very empathetic he is very he doesn't like seeing the violence and the and the war and he can just simply make it stop but this comes back to that free will. By doing that, he is making sure that he takes away their free will. So is he um, is he going against the group's purpose? Like, and I don't mean originally when uh, they said don't do it. I mean afterwards when they were trying to give free will. Well, he was already taking away their free will. So I thought that was a really interesting arc as well. And McCullough character arc, I'm not sure about her character. She became kind of reclusive, held, uh, hung back, stole a bunch of stuff, but also a giant reader. She read everything. She kind of became like an archaeologist, which I guess makes sense for all of them. Um, but yeah, like I thought... I thought her character was interesting and I wanted to see more of it. And Fastos, the idea that technology is used by humans and is developed by humans during wartime. And it originally it's used to kill the other, but save the inner, you know, that's to me, that's kind of an interesting concept as well. Like as human populations are, are tribal in nature to save people within your community, but don't care or actively hurt people outside. Yeah. Like I, I find all of their arcs and their uh, ideas really interesting and I'd love to see more. So in that regard, the movie wasn't disappointing. Just, I wanted to see more of it. I wanted more development and yeah it's kind it, it wants to be a thinker movie 
It wants to be a thinker piece. And I wanted to see that. That's my review. All right. I'm going to go listen to Darby's and we'll see what, see what happens. Thanks for listening. That'll do it for today, folks. Thanks again for joining us. Once again, I'm Darby Harn, and you can find more information about me and my books at my website, darbyharn.com. I'm also on Twitter at Darby Harn. Sugu, how can they find out more about us in the podcast? You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach us at our email address, shelfwarmers at gmail.com. Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at shelfwarmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye.